So I just want to do a real brief review before we hop into the notes. Um, the the first chapter of the Song of Songs, you know, we, we got into the the theme of the song, let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. His love is sweeter than wine. It's better than wine. We had the bride's life vision. Draw us after you. We want to run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. Rightly do they love you. And then the journey begins in verse 5 as she has this crisis where she realizes, man, I'm, I'm dark yet lovely. I'm black and beautiful, like the tents of Kedar and also like the curtains of Solomon. And that duality of our old man, and yet we're new creations in Christ. We're being renewed day by day. The old man has been crucified. We have been freed from sin. The man who has died is free from sin. These Romans 5, Romans 6 truths, really how you can connect to these. I think those chapters are perfect to study with what we've been studying in Song of Songs in verse 5 and 6. Last time we talked about her... Don't stare at me because I'm dark. The sun has tanned me, life under the sun. She was working the other vineyards. The mother, her mother's sons were angry at her. The spiritual leaders were angry at her, and they made her, they made her work out of the fear of man, but she had neglected her own heart before God. She neglected the, the vibrancy of the own garden inside of her where she's to meet with Jesus. Now, every believer goes through this crisis of becoming so aware of our depravity and deep need for Jesus, and also the seasons where we realize, man, I've grown distant. I've become a veiled woman. I'm, I'm with his companions. I'm at Bible study, but I'm not with him. I'm at church, but I'm not with him. And he responds and tells her, hey, this is, she's asking him, where do you feed your flock, you who my soul loves? And he responds and tells her, get out of the unsanctified isolation. Come, come into the trail of the flock. Come back into the sheep's fold. Get plugged in in community. He says, tend the young goats. Find somebody younger than you. Don't, don't be idle. Refuse unsanctified idleness. And get into servant ministry, washing feet. I mean, it's, uh, I, somebody said this to me recently where they said, what would you do if you knew it was your last day? You know, if you knew you were about to die and, you know, a lot of us think about, oh, I'd, you know, eat whatever I want, go on a trip, spend all my money. And, and yet we forget that Jesus knew when his death was and he chose to wash feet. He chose to get into servant ministry. That's what he did with his last days. And that's what he's telling us to do. Don't be idle. Get in and, and serve those young goats. Find somebody that's a new Christian and disciple them. Lead them into truth. Start a Bible study with two people if that's what it takes. And then refuse unsanctified independence. Get in to the shepherd's tents. Get around them. Whatever leaders that I've placed you under, submit to them, serve them, uh, honor them, speak well of them. None of them are perfect, but they're all striving to, to know God and to lead others into truth. So we pick up from that place where Jesus said, you most beautiful amongst women, he gives her a threefold answer where he feeds, and now he's giving her a threefold affirmation of her beauty, and then a promise to finish it all off. So we're going to go over that threefold affirmation tonight, and his promise to finish the work that he started. So this is song chapter one, I'll hop into the notes, starting in verse nine, where Jesus affirms the sincere heart. To me, my darling, 
You were like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are delightful with jewelry, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you jewelry of gold with beads of silver. So a lot of symbolism there. It's in, in these three verses, really what's happening is Jesus is comparing the maiden or the, the young believer ourselves to three things that affirm our sincere heart toward God. The sincere heart, or we refer to it as a willing spirit, or the yes in our heart. Those are all uh, the same thing. It's one of the ways that we're beautiful to God. A while back, we talked about the three ways that um, we can see ourselves as beautiful to God, the way, why he sees us as beautiful. And one of those three ways is the willing spirit. It's the yes to God in our hearts that's beautiful to him. This willing yes in our hearts is beautiful to God even before the way we live aligns with that yes. So just the yes itself, even when we're still struggling in sin, our willing spirit to stop sinning and obey God's voice is beautiful to him. And he affirms that, that he, he, he's in the seed sowing business. Everything in Christianity is about sowing seeds, time, and then harvest. And I think so often we get into the weed pulling business and we don't realize that it's so much more effective to sow seeds than it is to pull weeds. You can pull weeds all day and you're never going to reap a harvest. You can sow seeds all day and there will be some weeds here and there, but ultimately the seeds that you sow will overtake the weeds in your garden. The, the yeses in your heart will always drown out the echoes of the old man. And Jesus knows that, which is why the Song of Songs is not a uh, training manual or a corrective book. It's a love song. Because he knows that as he sowed seeds of love into our hearts, everything else is washed away. His love is more powerful than any other force. See, the first thing that Jesus does is he calls her my darling. Literally translated, my darling means lover friend. So Jesus views us as his friend and his lover as we touch the heart of God, even in our weakness. Even in our brokenness, we're his lover friend his darling one. See, his tenderness is actually what unlocks the human heart and draws us into communion with him. We know his kindness leads us to repentance. He previously gave her a threefold answer to her question, where do you feed your flock? And now he speaks a threefold affirmation and a promise to her. These statements revolve around the way Jesus sees us and believes in us. He, he expects the best out of us. He sees the end from the beginning. Uh, there's, a, there's a scripture in Isaiah that just came to mind where God prophesies the end from the beginning. And that's, that's really how the prophetic works. That's how his words work. He sees where we will end up. And he speaks to us from that place, even in the beginning stages of our journey with him. He starts off, to me, my darling, you were like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. God sees her sincere and strong desire to follow Jesus in obedience and right living. Our resolve to walk uprightly is compared to one of Pharaoh's mares. If you don't know, a mare is a female horse pulling his chariot. Throughout scripture, there's a lot of scriptures about horses. 
And the horse is referred to as a symbol of strength and power. Jesus here is comparing the righteousness of the maiden to the strength and the power of a horse. He speaks to the gift of righteousness he placed in us as new believers. And he prophesies strength through grace in our walk with the Lord. As believers, we have the ability to reign in life through Christ. And here's that scripture, Romans 5, 17. For by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So just to talk a little more about these, this horse allegory, at this time, Egypt had the most powerful and highly trained horses on the planet. Pharaoh would select the very best of these horses to pull his own chariot. Therefore, the mare pulling Pharaoh's chariot would be the best horse among the greatest horses in the world. So this is like an ultimate superlative. Not only are you a horse, strong, powerful, beautiful, magnificent, forward-moving, not shying away from the battle, but you're actually the best of the best. Not only are you just a, a horse in Egypt, but you're the best horse in Egypt. You're the horse that Pharaoh, out of thousands of horses, handpicked to pull his own chariot. See, Solomon would know about these horses because Solomon himself, if I'm remembering correctly, had like 10,000 stalls for the horses of his chariot. It, and that's somewhere in, in Kings. But he would have purchased a whole lot of horses from Egypt because they had the best horses in the world. The most well-trained, the most obedient. Pharaoh's chariot is described by historians as being completely covered in gold. This is interesting. So that when the sun shone on it, the light would blind his enemies. <laughs> like, pretty amazing, this chariot coming through. It's like the sun itself is riding into battle. So in the same way, our desire to follow Jesus, he's comparing this like a powerful and meek warhorse harnessed to his chariot carrying his light into this world without stumbling or shying away in fear. One thing I love, um, so I grew up with horses, and there's this term that we use called breaking a horse. But in decades before our current generation, they would call that meeking a horse. So what we now call breaking a horse, or we say, oh, you're breaking its spirit, you're really just training it to obey you and to see you as the person that's in charge. Well, they used to call that meeking a horse because meekness is a term used to describe war horses throughout history. And think about this picture. You've got a war horse going into the battlefield. I think about like the Patriot, Mel Gibson. These horses riding into battlefield, those cannonballs flying, there's guys with swords and muskets and the dirt is flying and the horse is unfazed. It's meek. It's not shying away in fear. It's not thrown off by the things around it, but it's actually steady. And it's paying attention to the rider on its back or the person in the chariot that it's pulling. So in the same way, God is describing our desire to follow him as this meek war horse. It's not it's not swayed by anything. It's not thrown off course. It's not being spooked. If you know anything about horses, they're really easily spooked. So to train that out of a horse 
It takes discipline. It takes years. It takes a skilled trainer to do that. And Jesus is saying, just your willingness to obey me. You are strong. You're sure-footed. You're ready for battle. You're pulling me like a chariot into the world. I'm blinding the eyes of your enemies. It's a really, really cool picture. And I like this scripture in Isaiah 63. Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. And that's, that's his prophecy over our lives today. We will not stumble in Christ. Verse 10. Jesus affirms our will and emotions. So he compares us to this mare pulling, his, pulling Pharaoh's chariot. And now he's talking about our cheeks and our neck. This is where Song of Songs can get weird for people. But if we can remember this is an allegory, it really can enlighten our understanding to how Jesus sees us. See, the cheeks, let me just read it first. Your cheeks are delightful with jewelry, your neck with strings of beads. The cheeks, or the countenance of a person, throughout the song symbolizes our emotions. So the cheeks reveal anger, joy, shame, other emotions, etc. And when we look at someone's cheeks, we can tell what kind of emotions they're experiencing internally. In this way, the emotions of a person are expressed through their face, through their cheeks, through their countenance. Especially if you're me. You know, if I get angry, I turn beet red and everybody knows. Or I get passionate about something, my starts down in my neck and it all goes all the way up. I don't know if it's that way for everybody, but it's really obvious. My, my emotions are very obvious from my cheeks. So we have jewelry being on the cheeks. He says, your cheeks are delightful, or they fill me with delight. Your emotions fill me with delight. And they have jewelry. Jewelry is created to beautify and draw attention to a certain feature of a person. So Jesus is working as an artist here to augment the beauty in our emotions toward him. He's working in our emotions. He's at work, even in our emotions. Though we often experience emotions that come from our old life, God sees our holy passion and fervency for Jesus growing. He says, your emotions are beautiful to me. I am skillfully crafting a passionate yes for Jesus in you. He's beautifying us. He's putting jewelry on our emotions. Our emotions were created to be fulfilled and directed to Jesus, not ignored or stifled. In fact, our loving emotions toward God actually move his heart. That was really hard for me to grasp onto when I first learned this because I was always taught that our feelings were bad. Emotions are bad. You've got to kill the emotions. Die to yourself. Kill your emotions. But when I found out that actually God created the emotions to reflect his emotions and that we actually move his heart in an emotional way by our emotions for him. I'm like, oh, wow. So, you know, I, I don't have to go around being a stoic. I can express my emotions to God. I can be emotional and it's not an insult. It's not a bad thing. So then he talks about our neck with strings of beads. The neck throughout scripture, this is one's a little bit more obvious in my opinion, symbolizes a person's will or submission. The neck is what turns the head as it chooses to go right or left. For example, when a king triumphed over an opposing nation, the conquering king would place his foot on the neck of the defeated king, and that would symbolize the defeated king's submission 
to the conquering king. That would be very demeaning. Our submission to the divine authority of Jesus and our will to obey is beautiful to God. And that's what the next symbolizes. It's our submission to his leadership or our surrender to him. There's so much power in us submitting to him and surrendering him. Here's a good example of Jesus talking about the the neck in uh, kind of the opposite way. I think this is actually Stephen speaking right before he gets stoned in Acts chapter 7. He says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. So Stephen is equating being stiff-necked as resisting the Holy Spirit or resisting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So in contrast, when we bow our necks to God, when we bend our necks to his will, we're submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that's beautiful to him. Strings of beads, he says your neck with strings of beads, they're delightful. Or jewels or pearls, all of those things would be correct in the translation. They symbolize royalty and authority. So we're wearing these strings of beads or strings of pearls or a jeweled necklace around our neck and it symbolizes our royalty. So being kingly, being a royal priesthood and our authority in Christ. In submission of our will, we gain access to the king's authority in heavenly places. It's through the action of submission. Remember he says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. The first step is always submission. And as we submit and surrender, we actually invite God's authority into our lives. We actually gain authority over circumstances that we don't have within ourselves by submitting to his leadership. And that's beautiful to him. This can also be translated to mean chains of gold. And that has a whole nother picture of it. Uh, You can, in this time, a prince would have worn a chain of gold with the king's emblem on it when he was walking through the town. This spoke of his value as the king's son. It spoke of his inherited authority from the king. And it spoke of his allegiance to the king. It's it's kind of like the signet ring from the uh, prodigal son story. He put his ring on his finger to symbolize, this is my son. He has my authority. He can take this signet ring to the bank and withdraw money with it. He can, he can move in authority as a representative of myself. This chain of gold is, is similar to that. The golden chain, think of a chain, it's like the willful service in love to Jesus. It's like us being chained to him. It's our birthright as co-heirs with Christ and symbolizes our, sla- our being slaves to righteousness and being sanctified. So here's some great scriptures to go with that. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, <laughs> think about that, rich in mercy, <laughs> because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ, our authority. This is a great New Testament truth to tie to this submission of our neck. We're seated in heavenly places as we submit to his leadership. Romans 6.18, after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. The golden chain. Matthew 16.24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As we submit and lay down our own lives at the feet of Jesus, it's actually how we access life in Christ. It all starts with the submission of our will, the neck. So he says these things, and then some, some, a lot of translations will then say the chorus. A lot, remember, a lot of those um, labels were added by translators. So they're not necessarily uh, completely accurate, but they make sense. And a lot of people are involved in that, so I don't reject those. Um, there's kind of two ways to view this verse 11. And um, I view it as, as really the Godhead speaking. Um, it would also be accurate to call it the friends of the bridegroom and, uh, or those invited to the marriage of the lamb. Those, those things would make sense, but most Hebrew scholars would say that this is the Godhead speaking. And it's his promise to finish what he began in us. He says, we will make for you jewelry of gold with beads of silver. Gold in the scriptures refers to divine character. The Godhead is speaking here, we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're saying that they will produce Christ-like character in our lives, jewelry of gold. Jesus promises to finish the work of refining us like gold as we continue to seek after him as slaves to righteousness. The beads of silver represent redemption. That's a lot of times through scripture when we're talking about silver, it's talking about redemption, redeeming. And this, this is talking about our authority to bring deliverance with others. Those, that's the, the beads of silver placed in our pure gold heart toward God. So this jewelry of gold with beads of silver, gold being the refined character of Christ in our lives, this pure heart to live for God. And with that comes authority in the submission of of our will to Christ comes the authority to deliver others, comes the authority to to actually be a bondage breaker for other people. I love this scripture in Malachi 3 as we're talking about the refining of gold. He's making for us jewelry of gold. Behold, I'm sending my messenger, Malachi 3, and he will clear a way before me, and the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them, like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Something that's really cool, this we will make at the beginning is the same Hebrew that's used in Genesis 1 um, when, when God created the, the universe. See, he's making us into those who fully choose divine character, that's the gold, and are equipped to deliver others, that's the silver. He promises full victory over dark areas of, of our hearts, and with it, the authority to deliver others from similar areas of sin. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. So this promise, we will make for you jewelry of gold with beads of silver. It's God, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, encouraging us, hey, you've got a willing spirit, but it's not unto nothing. You will overcome. You will walk uprightly. You will, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am the one that will finish the work that I've started. He who began a good work among you will complete it. He's not going to leave it unfinished. He's not somebody that starts a project and then throws it away and starts a new one. He does everything intentionally and he sees the end from the beginning. So we can rest assured that even if we're struggling, even in brokenness, even in weakness, he sees us as beautiful now and he promises to perfect the work of faith and the good work that he started within us. See, as I said, this Hebrew here is the same used in Genesis when God created the universe. The Godhead that made man in their image is the same Godhead that will make our character in their image, like pure gold. It's the same word, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make, that's the same as we will make for you. Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So this is the work that he's doing within us. He says, hey, I, I see your strong, willing spirit to follow me. And it's like the, the strongest, most beautiful and obedient and well-trained horse pulling my chariot. I see your emotions for me, that you have this godly sorrow when you stumble that you want to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's beautiful to me. Your emotions are beautiful to me. And your will, you've submitted yourself to me. Today and every day, you keep submitting yourself. You keep surrendering the things you, you can't seem to control. Even in sinfulness, even in brokenness, you're submitting to me and you're coming to me in your sin. And that's beautiful to me. It moves my heart. Therefore... I'm going to finish this work. You can be rest assured. I'm going to finish this work that I've started in you. Your character is going to be gold like mine. I'm going to refine it to the point that you'll actually be able to step into the darkness of other people and be a light of deliverance for them. A lot of believers call that overcomer's authority. You know, as you, as you walk in freedom from something, this is why the word of our testimony is so powerful. He gives us the right to share our testimony, which is the spirit, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It becomes a prophecy over someone else's life, those beads of silver, so that we can be a, a part of his deliverance of other people. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that your heart is moved by our emotions. It's moved by our will. It's moved by the yes in our hearts toward God. God, this is the fear of the Lord, what we're describing. I thank you for the fear of the Lord in this community to increase, God, that we would not want to do anything to, to come in between our love relationship with you. 
God, would you quicken our yes? Would you strengthen the willing spirit in our hearts? Would you continue to sow seeds of love so that we will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's your promise to us. In Jesus' name, amen.